0: This reading is from Romans 8, from verse 31 to 39. It's on 1135 of the Church Bibles. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things?
1: Uh, let me just, uh, for those who have not been on the church weekend away, and there's, there's a few unfamiliar faces to me, um, uh, you might be regulars here. I, uh, my name's uh, uh, Dave. I'm Dave Barnsley. I'm uh, been a delight to be with uh, you this, this weekend. Uh, normally you'll find me in Buxton, uh, in Derbyshire. Derbyshire uh, is a beautiful county. Uh, it, is, it is glorious. Uh, Buxton is a cold, wet damp town, but it is uh, a wonderful place to be and to minister and I'm very thankful for that. Some of you kind of think, where's Buxton? Kind of think of England and sort of put your finger in the middle. It's kind of there. You've probably drunk its water, Buxton water. Lots lots of people drink it. Yeah, we're famous for our water. Um, I've been there for uh, three years now. Before that, we were on the other side of, of the Peak District uh, near Derby, uh, there for 14, 15 years. And um, Uh, I've just. I'll think about myself. I'm uh, married to Helen. We've got three children. Uh, I'm Sheffield Wednesday fan. Uh, We won today. Get in. That's all all I'll say about football today. And um, uh, yeah, and and uh, it's been a delight to be to be with you this weekend to to teach from God's word. I, I I believe firmly that you know as as a preacher. The, kind of, the, the word really comes alive to us as a preacher when it's alive to the preacher. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, as it is in you, because we all have kind of hard hearts. And that this has this ministered to me as much as I hope it's helped you there. Um, we've, we've been looking at this, I think, extraordinarily important topic of the, the love of God. One that we want to grasp on this, and as I've been trying to get across, this is, this is not kind of an intellectual exercise as we know more about what the Bible says about God's love. No, it is a relational exercise because to know about the love of God and to experience it, it is to, to know and experience the love Jesus has set upon you uh, from all eternity a love that is beyond measure, beyond our comprehension, and yet has been communicated to us through the death of Jesus, his resurrection for us, and poured into our hearts by his Spirit, so that in him we might know the fullness of that love that then is expressed in our devotion to Christ, so that Christ is everything to us, and then trickles out into our relationships with one another and into the world. Uh, the words, uh, it's Psalm uh, 73, don't, don't need to turn to it, uh, but the psalmist there in, in talking about uh, going through a, a difficult time of affliction, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Who, am I in, who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you, my, my heart, my flesh might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I wonder if we can be growing more in that, that as we think about God, to, to know that there is nothing in this world that I desire more than to have you, Lord. Who, who have I have in heaven but you? As we turn to uh, Romans chapter 8. We, we, we come into what is, what is without doubt the most glorious chapter in the Bible, okay? And we're jumping in here at the end. And I make no apologies of that because, because jumping in even at the end of this is going, to be, is going to be great for us. It's going to be wonderful because it is just, it's just glorious stuff. Uh, as, we, as we come in, Paul is fleshing out uh, some of the implications of uh, the great Truths of the Gospel uh, that he 's been teaching about in the book of Romans and we 're not going to go through all of that now you 'd be pleased to hear uh, the clock at the back is wrong um, so um, so if I go on for an hour longer than what no i 'll I'll, I'll, I'll be good i 'll keep it short <laughs> um, this is This is great stuff and, and and in Chapter eight, he wants to remind us uh, that we are in Christ and that Christ is uh, in us by His indwelling Spirit and that we are His children, children of God. And in the light of that, why, why would we doubt the love of God? Why would we doubt that? Uh, well, more than anything else, look at verse 17 uh, with me. Paul writes, Now if we are children, we are then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share with His sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Sorry, say that again, Paul? What did you, did you, Hang on, did you mean that? <laughs> kind of uh, sharing his sufferings? Uh, yes, if we indeed share in his sufferings, because Paul assumes that as a Christian, uh, if you're a Christian here today, you will suffer for following Christ. And maybe there's some of you here who are not Christians, and one of the reasons why you've, you've, you've held back from finding more about Jesus or, or even kind of committing to him is because you know how others will treat you if you say, I- I'm one of those people. Uh, yes, suffering for Christ uh, is inevitable. Uh, listen to the words of Archbishop Uh, Ben Kwashi of Jos in northern Nigeria and if you know anything about northern Nigeria this is a church that has experienced and knows suffering including uh, Archbishop Ben himself repeatedly but he said this he said listen to the Word of God you must carry the gospel with your whole heart to your children your relatives and your friends we must agonize in prayer and share in the gospel because inevitably, whether you do this or not, suffering will come your way. But whatever is happening, by the way, of Christians suffering around the world, do not think you'll be insulated from it. It is going to come with time. And that is uh, his appeal to us as churches in, in the West, and so the question is, is, how are we going to respond if we're a Christian here today? How are we responding? Because suffering is, is part of the normal experience in the Christian life, and there will be many who will push God away because of that experience of suffering. And maybe we ourselves, sometimes to our shame, we know we've done that. And so Paul goes on to address this at the end of chapter 8 because he knows that the experience of Christians when facing opposition, ridicule, uh, hardship, trial, will doubt the gospel and will wonder if God loves them. And in the midst of all that going on, be reassured of this. He says, be absolutely confident, have no doubt that what you have on, in Christ is so precious so valuable it is more than all this world could afford and it can't be taken from you so take heart in that Uh, he addresses two big questions that Christians might be asking when facing hardship the first question is in verses 31 to 34 and the question is simply this am I really forgiven am I really forgiven by God And then in verses 35 to 39 a second question emerges and it's this does God really love me does God really love me so let's look at the first of those questions in verses 31 to 34 am I really forgiven by God and Paul says yes you are there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Chapter 8, verse 1. But that is hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that we really are fully forgiven. And Paul states it so clearly because he wants that to be the, 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 what we hear in and amongst all the other voices trying to crowd that out. The voices of those who oppose you. It's like, you're not good enough for God. What sort of Christian you? You're just a, just a hypocrite. What must God think of someone like you? we serve a Christian. you of all people. Those voices call out to the crowd to us, and sometimes they come from within us. Now, look, Paul certainly could say, couldn't he, that he knew opposition and hardship and experienced people who were against him. He could say to the Corinthians that he'd been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Just a a few of the experiences he'd faced of opposition. But behind those voices, remember, stands the accuser, Satan. And, of course, the accuser says, you're condemned. Your sin, it's condemned. You're not good enough for God. You you take your sin with you, uh, and, and you have to bear its consequences. That's their voice, Of the accuser that's what he does that's his speciality and he condemns us before God and we say am I am I really forgiven am I counted righteous before God can we be sure well Paul gives us in these verses three reasons why we can the first is in verse 31 well uh, if God is for us says well who can be against us God is for us, not against us. God is for us. He's not trying to trip us up. And if God is for us, then, well, then, in the light of that, who can be against us? And the answer is, well, lots of people can be against us, can't they? They can ridicule us, they can mock us, our values, uh, they can try to to limit our freedoms, they can do all sorts of things, but they cannot oppose God and his purposes. Well, can we be confident of this? Verse 32 uh, Look what he says Yes, we can. For he who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Has God demonstrated to you his commitment to you? Yes. How? He gave up his son. If he did not spare his own son, well, will he give up on us? I imagine for a moment that someone who's who's gone out and bought a really expensive car. I'm not I'm not in the market for expensive cars. They're not my thing. Um, but um, but if you were, you kind of you know you're looking up expensivecar.com. Um, you think oh there's a nice Bugatti. Oh, a Voiture Noir. That sounds nice. Eleven point four million. Well, I think I'll buy that. Okay. And so yeah, you spend all this money on this car. And you're driving it down the road, and then you get to the first petrol station, and you think, what? Price of petrol? It's outrageous. So you leave the car on the side, and yeah, I'm going to walk. It's kind of like, it would be nuts, wouldn't you, if you? Absolutely nuts. Why would you give up on that which is so precious for something for something else? Of course, and this is the, the point that God is trying to make for us. God has given us that which is most precious, His Son. The eternal Son, the the glory and the the, the darling of heaven, the one from whom has uh, been the object of the Father's love through all eternity is given up. God didn't spare him for us. So will he give up on you then if he's given you that much already? Of course not. Secondly, why, why are we not to doubt that we're forgiven? Well, secondly, verse 33. Well, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Let me help, help us with this. Think of all the, the, the charges that might be leveled against uh, God's people. Well, in the light of that, we need to remember it is God who justifies us. What does that mean? Well, it is God's opinion of us that really counts. He's justified us. He's he's brought us to himself. He's declared us as righteous, as perfect in his sight, because he gave up his son for us. Therefore, because we are made right in his sight through his son and his death for us, therefore... Therefore, we can be sure that we will not face God's condemnation. And in the light of that, and we can be confident of that, then the accusations that are made by the world and those around us and on on social media or in uh, in, in the staff room at work or wherever it might be, well, ultimately they are meaningless, ultimately, aren't they? Why? Because the, the opinion that counts is the opinion of God himself. The verdict of our lives that matters isn't what the guy next door thinks of you. It is the God who made you, who gave his son for you, and has made you his child, and given you his spirit, and has declared you in his sight to be forgiven. That's the verdict that matters. And yet, yet we hear kind of the opinions of other people, and we, and we kind of take them to heart, When they they mutter about us or they say things about us, we feel crushed. And Paul says, no, it is God who justifies. Live by his opinion. Because that's what really matters. Uh, And the verdict of God that is uh, for the last day, the day of judgment, has been made known to us now. It is so sure that it is spoken of here in the present tense. And so we can live now in the light of that. Isn't that encouraging? You are declared not guilty of your sin. You are forgiven. So when people say oh, you are so narrow-minded, and we can kind of think, "Oh, maybe I am." That the verdict of God is what matters. Remember, it's God who justifies, not the opinions or the rants of this world. Thirdly, why can we? Uh, why can we be confident that we are forgiven well thirdly uh, is because verse 34 who then is the one who condemns no one Christ who died and more than that who was who's was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us so not only do we not face God's condemnation for our sin glorious as that is our Savior who died for us and was raised for us is now at the right hand of the Father what is he doing there he's praying for us interceding for us he's speaking to the Father for us isn't that glorious It's not just that Jesus has done this for us in the the past and one day will do this for us in the future and bring us into his eternal glory when he returns. But now, right now, in the presence of the Father, the Son is praying for you and me if you're in Christ. That's what he's doing. He's speaking to us. Uh, the, The problem is, though, is that we go through life don't we is that we don't believe what God has declared he points doesn't to our sin that Satan does that the accuser he says how can God love this person how can he forgive someone like you as, as we're reminded again and again of our failings and and, and they, they cause us pain and grief and, and sadness and we're so ashamed and we pour guilt and condemnation upon ourselves but friends the verdict's been passed it has been declared and uh, and uh, as we go through life so we hear those things we must not and we will not let our hearts be the verdict of our lives we won't be judged by our own fallen consciences why because we're redeemed we're set free when the devil uh, pours these things into our hearts, into our minds, and we listen to them and we start to believe them, we, you know, we, we render the cross as powerless. We, we, we might say that, you know, kind of look, that, that, that the cross can deal with something, but it can't deal with that. So it's extraordinary. I might, the cross, it, it, it might satisfy God. I might dare, dare to feel but it doesn't satisfy me. The cross isn't enough for me. God will not remember what he has chosen to forget. And Paul reminds us of this. Yes, you're forgiven. You are not condemned. You stand before your Father as one who is accepted, forgiven, And free and we need to tell our souls that again and again and again because there is one who wants you to doubt that at a fundamental level whose voice are you listening to we can be certain that we're accepted by God we will not face his judgments and Paul wants us to build our confidence and assurance on that I am forgiven there is no condemnation. But therefore, that then leads us to the next question. Well, does God really love us? Verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of God? He writes. <laughs> does God really love us? Will, he, will, will, will these things kind of take us away from God's love? No. Why not? Because, says Paul in these verses, he loves us with an unbreakable love that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from. Well, how, how can we say that, Paul? Uh, friends, if you if, can hear this, if we're a, a, if we're a Christian, we're in Christ, made alive by his Spirit, if we're trusting in him, if we're... Uh, if, if we're following him, if we, as a Christian, we can absolutely be confident of his love. Uh, I had these verses, um, verses uh, 35 to uh, 39, on a poster. And it, I, it wasn't put there by me, but it was on the door of our toilet. So kind of over a number of visits, I uh, kind of learned these verses. Now, I was 19 at the time. And I had absolutely, really then, no, no comprehension of what these verses could mean to me uh, as I would go through life. You know, the, the situation I found myself in then couldn't have been further from, well, I think, yeah, I, I never imagined you might find hunger or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Uh, I, I learnt these uh, words, but they didn't really affect me but through life God is at work in us through different ways for different people at different times so that we might really know the truth of these words now we need to know that that God loves us that God loves me and therefore uh, uh, I can give myself yield myself to him fully I, I guess the problem is, is, that deep down, we, we kind of expect God to sort things out for us. You know, we, 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 we say, look, God, if, if you love me, therefore deal with this trouble at work or, or this difficult or broken relationship or my ill health or my nakedness or my danger or, or the sword that I'm facing. Sort it out, God. Love me. Do this. That, that, that's how we tend to think, isn't it? So when these things happen and continue in that, what do we conclude? well God doesn't love us does He? he's not a loving God he's capricious he's he's a bit mean and uh, and actually or well, maybe I, I'm no good uh, I guess what what, think about what what does that say about us when we think like that well I'm sure there's lots of things but ultimately and supremely it says that I don't really value God's life and love we're, we're saying to God in effect uh, this, this I'm gonna put this bluntly Okay, But what we're saying to God when we, when we feel like this is, is we're saying, Lord, what, what's the use of Jesus if I'm just going to get ill? What's, what's the point, God, of forgiveness if my job bores me? What's the point, God, of the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, if I you know, can't uh, get to do the things that I want to be able to do? What's the point, God, of the hope of eternal life with Jesus and his eternal glory if I can't get a boyfriend or girlfriend? That's in fact what we're saying, isn't it? Is Jesus and his love for me more important than any of these other things that we face in life, our comfort, our strength, our help, our relationships, our, our identity, whatever it is that we might be working or facing within this life. Has, has your heart been captured by the love for your family, the love of your job, the love of your friends, the love of your experiences? Has, has it been captured by those things? Uh, Is your heart more concerned for your reputation, your children or your grandchildren, your hobby, your your need for approval, your sense of self-worth, pride, health, home? In the midst of all these things, see if our hearts are captured by those things, my temptation is in the midst of trials when those things are threatened is to think God has failed me. He hasn't kept for me what I most value and in doing so we're shoving god below all those things so listen again to these wonderful words can trouble or hardship persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword separate us from christ's love no no they can't says paul emphatically why can we be confident of this Well, in in verse 36, Paul takes us to Psalm 44. And I want us to turn there just for a a few moments. Keep your fingers in Romans 8. Psalm 44, it's on page 569 uh, in our Bibles. 569. Uh, And here is a a psalm where God's people uh, feel like they've been rejected and abandoned by God because of the affliction that they've been facing. They've been given over to their enemies, and it feels like them, to them they've been abandoned by God. So look verses 17 to 20. 17 to 20, they say, Look, all this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you, Lord. We had not been false to your covenants. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path, but you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us with deep darkness." And so in the light of their sufferings, it appears that God is indifferent to them or even angry with them. And so their cry is, we haven't done anything to deserve this. Verse 20. They say, look, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of our hearts? But they haven't rejected their God, and yet they are still suffering they're the oppressed by others. And so verse 22, and this is the verse that Paul quotes in Romans 8. Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. So, so how are they making sense of their experience? To face hostility and opposition for being faithful to God. Doesn't God do something? Verse 23, it seems like God is asleep. And so they cry out, Wake up, arise, help us, God. But look how the psalm ends. The last words of the psalm. What does the psalmist appeal to in the midst of all of that confusion and uncertainty about what God is doing in their circumstances? Rise up, help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love, and that unfailing word unfailing love word there in Hebrew is a word that is used for god 's committed steadfast unfailing love, his covenant love and this covenant love is is different from his general common grace and love to all of humanity and, and to the world that He has made rather this is his special unbreakable gracious saving love for his people and in Romans 8 Paul beautifully beautifully describes the nature of this love it is God's unwavering commitment and care for his children a love that ensures that he will never give up on them, he will never abandon them, he will never fail them, he will bring them safely home to himself, uh, where they will one day be with God and, uh, and they will be his people and nothing will ever harm them again. Uh, and the psalmist appeals to this sort of love because uh, around him there's evidence that is, that is contrary to his experience of that. But no, this love will conquer their present trials. And that also is the experience of Christians. So Paul writes at the end of this glorious chapter, chapter 8, kind of, uh, can I be confident that no matter what I face, no matter who I am, whatever my circumstances will work themselves out, then, that, that I am loved. Whether I feel like I've been innocent of the sufferings that I face, or whether I've been uh, guilty of wandering away from God, whatever, whatever that has led to that, I can know that I am loved. Loved because I am in Christ. And Christ is in me and is in dwelling spirit. And that's, the, remember, the big theme of chapter 8. We therefore have absolutely, absolute certainty. That we then are loved by God with this unseparable, unfailing, lasting love. Why? Because it is based on the very character of God who makes an unbreakable covenant of love with his people through Jesus Christ. So, uh, Romans 8, verse 38. Paul can go on to give this list of extremes to show us the full extent of our security in God. So he says, neither death nor life, neither the angels or the demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation. Can you list it there? And there's nothing, there's nothing at all, at all, that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're allowed to say hallelujah. Praise God. There's nothing that can do that for us, and that's meant to be for our assurance. That's Paul's great conviction. Life can throw its worst at you, and I, you know, I, I, I don't live in northern Nigeria. I haven't had my my, my church burnt down. I, I, I've not experienced what some of our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing, but I can know with confidence uh, that whatever happens, that which is most precious to me cannot be taken from me. Can't? There's nothing, nothing in all creation that can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, and that which we praise God. And Paul personally experienced many of these things that he lists here, even death, of course, which was later. But can can anything separate? No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And here lies his joy, his delight, his security, his value and his satisfaction. Here is Paul's hope, hope that means that he can go to his death with Jesus, knowing that the love of Christ, it won't keep you from all these things, but it will keep you through them because there's nothing in the past nor the future or the present, there's nothing from within this world or from outside this world that can take us from the hand of God. And that is our assurance. That is our confidence. Uh, Ben Kwoshi is uh, the Archbishop of Northern Nigeria. Uh, He's asking the West this question, are you ready? Because he believes that here in the West, for, for Christians, suffering is coming. And the answer is no. No, unless the ground for our assurance is this stunning reality that we can be firmly established in the love of Christ through anything that this life can throw at us because we are in Christ, settled in his love. Uh, suffering is coming who knows what it might look like it's not just coming for those in the church of england but those uh in our land Uh, psalm 73 who who have i in heaven but you and the christian says jesus you are my all you are my life therefore i will not fear I'm not to go looking for suffering. I'm certainly not to make it for myself. But disciples of Jesus secure in Christ, for those who know Christ has set his love upon us, who have in all things conquered, even death itself, know that I will face whatever happens in Christ secure in him. Is the the love of God an academic thing? No. It is truly life-changing. So, friends, as, as we go forwards, let's keep Jesus there right before us to know the gospel, his love at work in us as we believe. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we again... Rejoice in these verses that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote for us, that your Spirit speaks to us now today through. We we pray that we would know that whatever life may afford, we can know that we are forgiven. We're justified. We're not condemned. The Lord Jesus, again, he speaks, he intercedes for us. And help us to know, therefore, because of that, that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing in all creation. So please give us assurance, confidence, that even through suffering, pain, times of feeling despair, Father, we can have our grounds and our hope firmly settled in you to know that we are children deeply loved by this unbreakable unstoppable and inseparable love for the name of jesus we pray amen